0: Good morning. Our talk this morning will include a few long passages of scripture, a poem and uh, a few comments of my own. We pray that God will bless his word to each of us on this rather cloudy June morning. And so we are back again this morning in the book of Joel. So far we have had a general introduction. Then we looked at Joel's coronavirus and the plague of locusts in Israel. With some thoughts on the virus which has now become a pandemic in our world. We followed this with the warnings of the coming day of the Lord which will come after the rapture of the church. Believers will have been taken away before the horrors of the day of the Lord take place. We see there just how necessary it is for all believers to preach the gospel Of our Lord Jesus Christ to our neighbours and to our friends. That Jesus is the way, the truth and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father God except through him. We introduced a previous podcast from our study of numbers on the silver trumpets. And their use in the everyday life of Israel. This led us into the pandemic virus or pestilence which we are experiencing. Could this be a harbinger of that spoken by Jesus in Matthew 24? But first, let us read Joel chapter 2 again, the first 11 verses. Blow ye the trumpet in Zion, and sound an alarm in my holy mountain. Let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord cometh, for it is nigh at hand. A day of darkness and of gloominess, a day of clouds and of thick darkness. As the morning spread upon the mountains, a great people and a strong. There hath not been ever the like, neither shall there be any after it, even to the years of many generations. A fire devoureth before them, and behind them a flame burneth. The land is as the garden of Eden before them, and behind them a desolate Wilderness, yea, and nothing shall escape them. The appearance of them is as the appearance of horses. And as horsemen, so shall they run. Like the noise of chariots on the tops of mountains, shall they leap. Like the noise of a flame of fire, That devoureth the stubble. As a strong people set in array. Before their face the people. Shall be much pained. All faces shall gather blackness. They shall run like mighty men. They shall climb the wall like men of war. And they shall march every one in his ways. And they shall not break their ranks. Neither shall one thrust another. They shall walk every one in his path. And when they fall upon the sword, they shall not be wounded. They shall run to and fro in the city. They shall run upon the wall. They shall climb up upon the houses. They shall enter in at the windows like a thief. The earth shall quake before them. The heavens shall tremble. The sun and the moon shall be dark. And the stars shall withdraw their shining. And the Lord shall utter his voice before his army. For his camp is very great. For he is strong that executeth his word. For the day of the Lord is great and very terrible. And who can abide it? And that's it. The day of the Lord is coming. And if we look carefully at those words, we'll see something to concern us it is nigh at hand and that was the warning to all given by Joel and that was the reason the sound of the trumpets is to be heard by all. The destruction caused by that army is vividly shown in those verses and today it is still the message for us the day of the Lord cometh For it is nigh at hand. And when we see the disaster uh, caused by that army. How true it is that we should sound a clear trumpet. Warning our friends and neighbours today. Is to prepare to meet their God. For Israel still living away from God, a serious warning of an army from the north, a Syrian invader who would come. When we study Bible prophecy we often see an event repeated once or twice or more in type, perhaps to a lesser or greater degree, prior to its final fulfillment. In this case, this final fulfillment will take place at the Battle of Armageddon, the final victorious event of the Day of the Lord, which will occur after the rapture of the Church at the end of the Tribulation, that seven-year Tribulation, when Christ will return to this earth with his saints to a land which has been savaged by the invading army the Assyrians from the north with their surrounding confederate nations so I'm going to break off here and here is something a little bit interesting uh, for each of us as I came into the breakfast room this morning I switched on the radio to hear the news but I caught a bit of what I think is called The Long View, The Long View, by Jonathan Friedman. On these programmes, Jonathan looks back at an event which happened some years ago, and then discusses as to how this, as a result, may affect or influence our behaviour, and our actions today. In the same way, when I was growing up in the church which I attended, we were taught to recognise the importance of prophecies in the Bible, the Word of God, and how these quite often were reflected in the way we should behave and live out our Christian lives In the world today. We are told. As it says in Romans 15. Verse 4. These things. Were written. Aforetime. For our learning. That we. Through patience. And comforts. Of the scriptures. Might have hope. Yes we read these prophecies and they should in many cases fill us with hope. The interpretation of scripture is hermeneutics. We should come to study the word of God with a clear mind but unfortunately we may be influenced by preconceived ideas. by the world in which we live today and probably the culture of our surroundings. In and around the first century, the ancient rabbis like Paul and his uh, teachers interpreted scripture by a Jewish system called Midrash, Midrash as the church became more spread out and were slowly influenced by the philosophies of Aristotle and Plato and they began to redefine biblical truth on the basis of these Greek philosophers rather than the Jewish philosophy that brought about the gospel. There were always and still are, some Christians who sought to interpret the scriptures in the fashion of the early rabbis. So what was the difference between the two main types of interpretation? The Western mind interprets scripture mainly as prediction and fulfilment just merely as prediction and fulfillment. On the other hand, the Jewish mind saw prophecy as a pattern, not just prediction. This difference is important, especially in relation to the study of end times. Here is a sample of Midrash and its use in hermeneutics. I believe it makes reading the living word of God, the Bible very exciting. And here is a a bit from a book by Jacob Prash, the final words of Jesus and Satan's lives today. And he's Speaking about Midrash, and he says it's a pattern, not just prediction He's speaking about, speaking about Abraham coming out of Egypt. The theme of the passage is that of coming out of Egypt. Abraham, the father of all who believe, becomes the archetype that is his experience as patriarch is archetypal of his descendants coming out of Egypt. Or in other words, what happens to him also happens to his descendants at a later date. And really, if you get out your Bible and look at these things, it's it's fascinating and interesting. During a famine, Abraham, the patriarch, stays temporarily in Egypt and following divine judgment on Pharaoh he leaves bringing from Egypt before entering into the promised land uh, he, he leaves with wealth he gets wealth many years later his descendants the sons of Jacob enter Egypt as a result of another famine and God's judgment again falls on Pharaoh when they leave Egypt for the promised land they bring the wealth of Egypt with them replaying the experience of Abraham and developing the theme of coming out of Egypt Similarly, in 1 Corinthians, we Christians are told that we too have come out of Egypt. Again replaying the same experience and further developing the same theme. Pharaoh was worshipped as God by the Egyptians who deified him and as such he became a metaphor for the devil the God of this world. Just as Moses made a covenant using blood which he sprinkled on the people, so Jesus, who was a prophet like unto Moses, makes a new covenant in his blood, so covering his people. Egypt can now be seen as a symbol of the world and just as a Moses led the children of Israel through the Red Sea, out of Egypt, into the Promised Land, so Jesus leads us out of the world through baptism and into heaven. In the book of Revelation, we see the same judgment against Egypt replayed in the final judgments of God upon a sinful world. Just as Pharaoh's magicians were able to counterfeit the miracles of Moses and Aaron, so the Antichrist and the false prophet will counterfeit the miracles of Jesus and his witness. We'll stop there. But it gives us some idea as how Midrash works. Something happens and then again there's another Partial or semi partial uh, development until the final de- development takes place. You know, just think for a minute about Joseph. Joseph and his brothers. Way back in Genesis 39 and 40, we have the story of Joseph being betrayed by his brothers brother and it was judas who was responsible for much of this and jesus was betrayed by his brother and judas betrayed our lord and then there are lots of things if you read through the story of joseph you will discover it's repeated so much again and again in the life of Jesus. One other one just as a matter of interest Uh, he was put in prison, uh, Joseph was put in prison and the baker and the chief butler were put in prison with him. Joseph of course was put in prison and it was a false accusation Jesus was brought before Pilate and he was uh, declared guilty and it was a false accusation. The butler and the baker were in prison with Joseph and he. they came to Joseph because one of them had dreamed a dream and then the other one had dreamed a dream and they were both Uh, hoping to get their freedom, but after three days, the judge, the pharaoh, he came to the conclusion that the butler would be replaced and given his job back, whereas the baker, he was uh, hanged. And that's the same thing that happened with Jesus. The Lord was crucified with two thieves one on his right hand and the other on his left after three days the Lord rose from the dead but during that time one man died and went to a lost eternity and the other one was saved And he would see his saviour in paradise. And you see all these different little things all add up to a wonderful picture of what Midrash actually does. We'll stop there in any case and we'll go back to this army which we were studying just a minute ago. We can see some midrash in the story of Joel. So we see a vivid picture of this invading army which would come into the land and cause havoc. In verse 20 we have a promise of victory and in Isaiah 37 to 38 we have Isaiah prophecy of an invasion and its fulfilment in part. On this occasion the invader did not enter the land, and so it was not that army. I'm sure most of us have learned Lord Byron's poem in school on the destruction of the Assyrian army as recorded in Second Kings nineteen and the prophecy of that event. In Isaiah chapter 37 and verses 30 to 38, 185,000 soldiers were destroyed in this instance. If one had been alive at the time of this destruction, we might have said that this surely was the fulfillment of Joel's prophecy, as stated in Joel 2 verse 20. However, as I said above, we know that, the scripture, that from scripture that this prophecy will have its final fulfilment in the day of the Lord, which will begin just after the rapture of the church. And I thought we'd remind ourselves of the destruction of Sennacherib. The Assyrian came down like a wolf on the fold. And his cohorts were gleaming in purple and gold. And the sheen of their spears was like stars on the sea. When the blue waves rolled nightly on blue Galilee. Like the leaves of the forest when summer is green. That host with their banners at sunset were seen. Like the leaves of the forest when autumn hath blown. That host on the morrow lay withered and strong. For the angel of death spread his wings on the blast and breathed in the face of the foe as he passed. And the eyes of the sleepers waxed deadly and chill and their hearts but once heaved and forever grew still. And there lay the steed, With his nostril all wide. But through it there rolled Not the breath of his pride, And the foam of his gasping Lay white on the turf, And cold as the spray Of the rock-beating surf. And there lay the rider, Distorted and pale, with the dew on his brow and the rust on his mail, and the tents were all silent and banners alone, and lances uplifted, unlifted, and the trumpet unblown. And the widows of Asher are loud in their wail, and the prophets are broken the temple of Baal, and the might of the Gentile unsmote by the sword hath melted like snow in the glance of the Lord. The army described in Joel 2 is not God's army as many who follow the modern day false teaching known of Joel's army. There is a whole lot of false teaching attached to What this group of people mean. One of the new trends is the great emphasis on the ability of those who have experienced this impartation of the Holy Spirit is the ability to impart it to others. They think they can impart the Holy Spirit to others. They literally believe that the Holy Ghost can be dissected and placed and passed out simply by speaking and laying on half hands or directing this power towards others. This kind of impartation has spread to many churches. The Joel's army movement connects spiritual warfare with supernatural healings and miracles beyond the context of scripture. Ephesians 6 verse 12 notes that believers are in a spiritual battle. But nowhere, nowhere are believers called to march around naming and casting out demons or healing every sickness in their midst. Instead, believers seek the will of God and follow the Spirit of God by focusing on the Word of God. And the Bible is full of warnings against false prophets, false teachers, and imposters of Christ. No one should be fooled by the leaders of Joel's army, but many are. John writing in 1 John chapter 4, and verse 1, he says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Members of the Joel army movement may sincerely believe that they are doing the work of God, but their doctrine is unbiblical. We should pray for the members of this movement to come to the knowledge of the truth of God's word, and we should avoid any level of participation with them it is important that we learn the truth about this application of Joel's army so be very very careful and may I just remind ourselves as to how we receive the Holy Spirit look at Ephesians chapter 1 verses 12 to 14 that we should be to the praise of his glory. Who first trusted in Christ. We, When we come and trust and put our faith in Christ. That's what Paul is speaking about here to the Ephesians. And then he says in whom ye also trusted. After that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. You heard the truth of the gospel and you put your faith in Christ. And then he says, In whom also, after that ye believed, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. We heard the gospel message, we trusted it in the word of the truth. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, it says, is, our, is the earnest of our inheritance. It's the guarantee, the Holy Spirit living in us is the guarantee that we one day, we will reach, it says, until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So let's go back again to this army in Joel 2. It's used by God at the Battle of Armageddon to bring about the true repentance of Israel to recognise their true Messiah. That is the army which is being described in Joel chapter 2. The eventual battle of Armageddon. It will be defeated. As was the the Assyrian army in Isaiah's time. Although on that occasion it did not set foot in the land. But the, the Joel's army will attack Israel. And there will be terrible, terrible trouble. And so I thought we would read a few verses in the scriptures, which deserve our serious attention. Isaiah 45 and verse 7. The Lord has said, I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create evil. I the Lord do all these things. Amos 3 verse 6 The Lord has said shall there be evil in the city and the Lord hath not done it. God used this army to complete his purposes. That purpose was to bring Israel back to put their full faith and trust in him and here is what Zechariah says about this time and remember those last two verses in Isaiah and Amos and it's about the day of the Lord Zechariah chapter 14 and we read a few verses behold the day of the Lord cometh and thy spoil shall be divided in the midst of thee. For I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. This is God speaking. He said, I will gather all nations against Jerusalem to battle. And the city shall be taken, and the houses rifled, and the women ravished. And half of the city shall go into captivity. And the residue of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Then shall the Lord go forth. After that devastation, then shall the Lord go forth and fight against those nations. As when he fought in the day of battle. And his feet shall stand in that day upon the Mount of Olives. Christ shall return and his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives which is before Jerusalem on the east and the Mount of Olives shall cleave in the midst thereof towards the east and towards the the west and there shall be a very great valley and half of the mountain shall remove toward the north and half of it toward the south and ye shall flee to the valley of the mountains. For the valley of the mountains shall reach unto Azal, yea, ye shall flee like as they fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, the king of Judah. And the Lord my God shall come and all the same saints with thee. And it shall come to pass in that day that the light shall not be clear nor dark. But it shall be one day which shall be known to the Lord, not day nor night, but it shall come to pass that at evening time it shall be light. And it shall be in that day that living waters shall go out from Jerusalem, half of them toward the former sea, and half of them toward the hinder sea, in summer. And in winter shall it be. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. In that day shall there be one Lord. And his name one. And reading again about the battle of Armageddon. It's going to be a horrible day. When God will bring those people. Those nations to battle. And then he will destroy them. Revelation chapter 19, 11 to 21. And this is a magnificent passage. This is really a magnificent passage. John speaking. As I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True. And the righteousness he hath, he doth, and in righteousness he doth judge, and make war. His eyes were a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew, but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And his name is called the Word of God. Remember how John's Gospel starts. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This it says, his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses, clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations. And he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh were written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun and he cried with a loud voice saying to all the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven come and gather yourselves unto the supper of the great God that ye may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of captains and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses And of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. And I saw the beast, the Antichrist, and the kings of the earth and their armies gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse, and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophets. The leader of the world's false religion that wrought miracles before him with which he deceived them that thus received them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his, worshipped his image, these both were cast alive into the lake of fire, burning with brimstone. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse. Which sword proceedeth out of his mouth? And all the fowls were filled with their flesh. And that description there is the final workings of the day of the Lord. Our Lord will then establish his millennium kingdom in Jerusalem and rule the nations there forever. And then, you know, Psalm 2, we've read Psalm 2 very often, but then Psalm 2 will be understood. Why do the heathens rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us break their bands asunder, and cast away their cords from us. He that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then he shall speak unto them in his wrath, and vex them in his sore displeasure. Yes, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them, that's the nations, with a rod of iron thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel be wise now therefore o ye kings be instructed ye judges of the earth serve the lord with fear and rejoice with trembling kiss the son lest he be angry and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are they that put their trust in Him." Those are all very solemn words that make up the day of the Lord. You know, I just want to close with just a few verses from Colossians. Paul writing to the Colossians. This comes from the Amplified Version. Chapter 2. Verses 1 to 5. For my hope. Is that their hearts may be encouraged. As they are knit together. In unselfish love. So that they may have all the riches that come from the full assurance of understanding the joy of salvation resulting in a true and more intimate knowledge of the mystery of God that is Christ in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge regarding the word and purposes of God. I say this so that no one will deceive you with persuasive but thoroughly deceptive arguments. For even though I am absent from you in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, delighted to see your good discipline as you stand shoulder to shoulder and form a solid front To see the stability of your faith in Christ, your steadfast reliance on him and your unwavering confidence in his power, wisdom and goodness.